Okay, shall we, uh, shall we make a start then? I'm looking forward to sharing this with you today. So, my name is Rob, just in case you didn't know. Hi. Nice to meet you. Hi, Rob. <laughs> I want to share some uh, things with you. Um, I've really been struck by the message this week. It's uh, interrogated me, so I hope it will do the same to you. So let me start with this. I want to say these words, and maybe you want to keep your eyes closed while I say these words by way of introduction, because I want you to meditate on the truth of what I'm going to say. Because, you know, hidden inside the heart of every one of you is a person whose character is everything you thought it could be and more. This person has incredible potential for influence and for good. This person is fearless no matter what difficulties they face. This person is truly compassionate, able to love all kinds of people, from the broken to the most arrogant. Think about that. This person is filled with joy, bringing life and hope to every situation they encounter. That that person, they just can't be knocked down. This person speaks the truth, knowing that in a world in need of direction, that someone must have the courage to say and do what is right. And this person that I'm talking about is closely connected to a loving Heavenly Father. And whether you recognize it or not, this person is you. Do you know, I just felt, just as we were worshipping today, the privilege of being with the people of God Do you know what an incredible privilege that is? To be with saints, worshipping God around the throne. You know, you're not a saint just because you've died and gone to heaven. You're a saint now because you're connected to Jesus. Just to feel the privilege. That person is you, whether you recognize it or not. That's the real you. That's the person that God has made you to be. And this is the person that in your heart you're crying out to be. Have you ever felt that frustration Lord, I know I should be, but I know I'm not. But there's a frustration inside you because inside you know that that's the person God has called you to be. And the reason why you're not that person and you feel in that place of contradiction sometimes is because we live in a world of sin. We live in a world of pain and rejection, abandonment, violence, injustice, abuse, disappointment, and, so, and intimidation. So the person that God has created us to be has been compromised, has been twisted, even imprisoned, broken, hurt, damaged. And we have to work through these things and find healing so that we can be the person that God has called us to be. But this is why Jesus came. You know, from the moment we're born, we're assailed by the symptoms of the world's sin and fear, depression, anger, sadness. These things become the norm for us, the expectation for us. Well, that's just the way it is. No, this is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus came to restore that which had been lost. To reinstate the dignity and the purpose of mankind. To bring God's kingdom to earth and ultimately to set all that is right, all that is wrong with the world right. 
And what I want us to see today and over the next few weeks is that you and me, we are a crucial part of that, that restoration that Jesus has come to bring. Because you see, it starts with the people of God knowing who they are and knowing what they've got. And so that's what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks because, do you know, we are called to make a difference. You are called to make a difference wherever you are, wherever you work, wherever you go, whatever part of the world you find yourself in, you're there because you're called to make a difference. You're meant to make a difference where you are because we're disciples on a mission. (laughs) We're disciples of Jesus who carry something that is really opposite to what is in the world. Love, joy, peace, self-control. It's so opposite, but that's what we carry as disciples of Jesus. That's who we are. I mean, do you know why you're here? (laughs) Do you know why you're alive today? I I have lots of conversations with people about, oh, I don't know what my, my purpose is, my calling. What am I meant to do with my life? Where am I meant to live? All these kinds of things. Well, this is it. To be missionaries of Jesus. To carry the good news of Jesus. In fact, we're disciples on a mission to change our lives so that we can then change the world. (laughs) Did you know you're called to change the world? Oh. That's a small thing to do with your life, isn't it? To change the world. That's what Jesus has called us to to do. It's a big, bold claim. But this is the mission that Jesus started through his disciples and he gave them the authority to do so, which is what I want to look at today. I want to look at authority, the authority of the disciples of Jesus. That's me and you, by the way. All right. The authority of the believer. So that's where we're going to start. So we were looking in Matthew chapter nine a couple of weeks ago and uh, we saw that Jesus had begun already to envision his disciples. He began to show them the full extent of the need that is all around them. I mean, when you look around the world, there's just need everywhere, isn't there? And Jesus began to lift their eyes and say, look out, look, there's a harvest. There's people that that need the message that you've got. There's people that need the gospel. He starts to envision them with this. And he says, so I want you to do something. He says, I want you to pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into God's field because there's a lot of people that need to come in. And that's still the case today. There's a lot of people that still need to come in and find this incredible message of freedom. And then in chapter 10, I I think this is quite funny actually because Jesus says, guys, this is what you need to pray for, so start praying. And then in the next chapter, he says, oh, by the way, you're the answer to your own prayers. (laughs) Did you know that? That sometimes you can be the answer to your own prayers. Because you not only convince God when you pray, you also change your own heart. Something happens in that interaction and God changes our hearts. So in chapter 10, we find that the disciples are commissioned by Jesus as the first missionaries on the earth. So I want to read that to you and then I want to unpack it a bit to you. So this is Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 to 8. Here we go, Matthew 10, 1 to 8. He called his 12 disciples to him and he gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And here's the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter, 
and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And these are the twelve that Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Don't go out among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel, and as you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons freely you have received, freely give. So in this section, what we see is Jesus giving authority to his disciples and then telling them how to demonstrate that authority. And so Jesus' mission to change the world starts with this, giving authority. Giving authority to perform the mission that they're being sent out to do. So we see there in verse 1 that Jesus gave them authority. I don't know how he did that. How did he actually give them authority? That intrigues me. He called them to him. Maybe he laid hands on them. Or maybe he just breathed on them, but there was an impartation of authority that took place. And from that moment where Jesus had given them authority, we see in verse 2 that they become the 12 apostles. Verse 2, 12 apostles. That's the 12 sent ones, the 12 commissioned ambassadors. Which is interesting because Matthew only uses that phrase once in the whole of, Ma- the whole of the, his gospel, the 12 apostles. Because it was so important to him that they were delegates, ambassadors of Jesus from that moment. And then just in case we missed it, in verse 5 it says that Jesus sent out, sent out his disciples. The word sent out is again apostle. He apostled them out. He delegated them out with that authority. And you see, this authority is all that it's been about. Authority. So you can read the the last couple of chapters, there's about five or eight stories there. Just about all of those stories are talking about this authority. So you've got here the faith of the centurion, that story, who said those amazing words, for I also am a man under authority. With soldiers under me, I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to that one, come, and he comes. And Jesus shows in that instance his authority over sickness and how he is able to delegate authority and bring healing even into another place. And then we see Jesus calming the storm. I mean, that's authority, isn't it? You walk out into a rainy day and you say, stop it. I've tried it loads of times. It's never happened yet. But Jesus stands there and he speaks to the wind and the the waves and he says, peace, be still. And they said, why are you? Uh, And they said, who is this? What kind of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Showing his authority over creation. And then there's two demon-possessed men that nobody can do anything with. They break chains. They hurt themselves. They frighten everybody. And Jesus shows us by setting them free that he has authority over the demonic realm. And then there's the healing of the paralytic. And Jesus, this time he chooses to do it a different way. He doesn't just heal him. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. That which has been paralyzing you, I've set you free. Showing him, showing his disciples that he has authority to forgive sin. And at the end of that section, 
the crowd saw this, it says, they were filled with awe and they praised God who'd given such authority to man to forgive sin. And then, so wind, waves, all the rest, healing, demonization, he also shows that he can raise the dead. That's the extent of his authority. You're not even beyond it when you die. He can raise the dead. He raises the young girl from the dead and so on. And so Jesus does these things. His disciples see these things so that when he says, okay, now I'm sending you. You see what I've done? I'm sending you to do it now. They're not going to sit there thinking, well, what on earth does he mean? What does it mean to, to have authority, to, to use authority? They've seen it. They've seen Jesus exercising authority so that when he says, I'm sending you, here's authority to do it. They say, well, we know what that means. We know that we have to go and do those things. We need to heal people. We need to set people free. We need to speak to weather systems. There was no doubt in their minds. They knew what it meant to exercise authority. What you have seen me do, you do, Jesus is saying. I authorize you. I deputize you. I send you out as ambassadors in my name. Exercise authority. Heal the sick. Cast out demons. Declare the nearness of my kingdom. He gave it to them. He gave them authority. Now that's amazing. That's amazing, and we could go on and say, and he gives us authority to go and do likewise, because that's what he means. We could stay there, if you like. But I don't think we understand the full significance of what is happening here. I didn't until I studied this passage. This is the first time Jesus gives authority. The first time. So I want to just take you back so that you can see the significance, and this is going to be a bit of a foundational talk for all that's going to follow in the future. Because you, like I have, might miss the significance of this moment. Because it's not just about healing a few people. It's not just about a few miracles. Actually, all you need to do those things is a bit of power. All right? You just need a bit of power and you can do that kind of thing. All kinds of people have got power. Now, I can make people do things with the force of my own personality. Or if I'm stronger than somebody, I've got power to change or to move or to do something. And, you know, even the devil's got a bit of power and can do a few tricks as well. And for us, often the focus is on the signs of power. And we think, wow, that's amazing, rather than on the exercise of authority. And it's the exercise of authority which actually leads to power. So we need to understand authority. We need to understand what it is, because there's a difference. Power for Jesus' disciples is exercised because of authority. They don't just do it to bring a wow and amaze people because that's the sort of thing even magicians do that, you know. Even magicians do it. That's not what it's about. So if we are going to exercise spiritual power, we need to understand spiritual authority. And if you're going to change the world, which is what we're called to do, if we're called to change the world, then we need to be assured that we have the authority to do it. Otherwise, it's a little bit presumptuous. Okay, so the impartation of authority in this moment by the Son of God to these disciples was an incredibly significant moment. This was a redemptive act signifying the beginning of a reversal, the beginning of a restoration of authority that had been lost by Adam in the Garden of Eden. So let's go back there. Let me just remind you of what happened. 
And uh, I can only, I can't really do this justice, so I'm going to do it quite quickly. So, right back at the beginning, authority was given at creation. Authority was given to man. Man who was made in God's own image. He was the perfect reflection of God in every way. And Adam lived completely in the full realization of the favor of God. How amazing is that? The complete realization. He even spoke to him face to face and he walked with him in the garden and all that kind of thing. He lived with God in perfect unity and perfect fellowship and he was given authority to rule like God over creation. That's Genesis chapter 126. He was given authority by God to rule. So, for example, when it comes to naming all of the animals and categorizing them, God says to Adam, you come and do this. That's in Genesis chapter 2. And you see, when you have power to name something, it shows what kind of authority you've got. Now, I named my children when they were born. Nobody came along and said, hold on a minute, who do you think you are? No, I named, we named, well, my wife and I, (laughs) just get that clear, we named our children because we had the authority to do so. So it shows what kind of authority you have. So God was saying to Adam, I mean, it's amazing. He was saying to Adam, so Adam, I created all this, but what do you want to do here? What do you want to call him? I mean, how did he come up with the names? Slug. Oh, kangaroo. I don't know how he came up. Maybe the name was just descriptive of the personality of the animal. I don't know. But that was the authority that Adam was given and who was unable to exercise the authority. And what God was saying is, Adam, it's your domain. This is your domain. Creation is your domain. You've got authority to do with it what you want. And God gave man this incredible privilege. I mean, it effectively meant that man before the fall, was the God of this world. He was the God of this world. Man was created to rule, to be in authority. Not to be downtrodden, not to be victims of creation like we see on our television screens now. We're seeing uh, floods, we're seeing storms, we're seeing earthquakes all over the world. We were never created to be victims of creation like that, to be downtrodden. In fact, God told man to subdue it. Go out into creation, subdue it. Exercise authority. God never intended man to be killed by snakes, bitten by crocodiles, and stung by jellyfish. I mean, perhaps that's what Jesus had in mind when he declared uh, in Mark chapter 16, he says that believers, that you know, one of the ways you're going to see believers operating in the last days is that they're going to pick up snakes with their hands and drink deadly poison and it's not going to hurt them. Maybe that's what Jesus had in mind. That was the kind of restoration of the world that he was thinking about. I'm not saying go and try it out, but, you know, it's there. The created world was designed to be ruled over by man. That we would have authority over everything that was made, including the created being, Satan. And so here we see where it goes wrong, because authority has been stolen in the fall. Because you see, in the beginning, Satan had no authority to rule. He was an angel, He was a servant of God, 
And I don't know what he was doing in the garden at that time. All kinds of things have been said about this. Why was he there? Why did God allow it? I mean, you wouldn't put a snake with your children, so why would God the Father, a loving Father, do that? We don't know. One writer suggests, um, which is quite an interesting idea, that as we don't know the precise time of Satan's fall from grace, his fall from heaven, that perhaps he was even there to minister to Adam and Eve. That in that time, uh, he hadn't sinned, he hadn't fallen, he hadn't competed with God, that he was actually an angel sent by God to minister to them, because that's what angels are there for. And then it's proposed that when he saw the favor of man's position, because the devil is a jealous, jealous, jealous person, when he saw the favor of man's position and the authority he'd be given, his jealousy overcame him and he schemed a way to steal it from man. This is a really interesting idea. It kind of makes sense to me. I don't know. I just thought I'd throw it out there, see what you think. But the scheme that Satan had, we can see it was very simple. In fact, he still uses it today. Here it is. Here's the scheme. If I can get man to agree with me, if I can get man to believe what I'm telling him, I'll have power over him. Did you know that? That's how he works. He has no authority of his own. He steals it. He steals it by your faith. You start believing the wrong thing. (laughs) So when you start to believe a lie, you give power to the enemy. Did you know that? That's how it started. It's always been there. From the moment moment Adam disobeyed God, Satan gained authority. And Adam was no longer the prince of the world, the king of the, the earth. Now John 12, 31 shows us that Satan was the god of this world. Until Jesus came. Until Jesus came. (laughs) You see, authority was restored through Jesus, is being restored through the church. Jesus, the King of Heaven, was sent to restore order. He came exercising supreme royal authority, and the devil knew what was going on. Because he tried to deceive Jesus too in the temptations, didn't he? He said, if you bow down and worship me, see what he's up to? You give me authority. I'll take your authority, Jesus. You worship me. And Jesus said, no, get behind me. I'm only going to worship God. Oh, if only Adam. (laughs) If only Adam was like Jesus. Jesus refused to bow the knee to Satan. And now, very significantly, we see here that Jesus is on a mission to restore man's authority and position in creation. This comes first to his disciples. So having demonstrated his authority over sickness, death, demonic powers and creation, in Matthew 10, he releases the first of many sons of glory onto the earth. And at this point, it's only a foretaste of the authority that he's going to give. It's authority that's delegated for a a particular mission, (laughs) limited for a particular time, for for a particular audience. So it says in verse 5, these 12, Jesus apostled, he sent out with these instructions, don't go among the Gentiles or enter the town of the Samaritans, rather go to the lost town of Israel. I'm only giving you authority to do that at the moment, but you're getting a foretaste of what's to come. 
Because you see, it was a beginning. It was a beginning of a restoration that would be completed on the cross, finalized in the resurrection, so that the restoration of all things is begun. And so Jesus is finally able to call his disciples to him again once more before the ascension and declare these amazing words, all authority has been given to me. So go and make disciples. No limits. Go, it's permanent. No limits. Go into all all the earth, into every single um, people group, every type, every color, every race, every whatever, everywhere. Nowhere's off, off, off ground for Jesus. Go. All authority. Everything is restored to me. That which was stolen, I've got back. Permanently for all nations, for all time even. Even till the end of the age, Jesus says. Authority restored to man. Actually to the sons of God redeemed by the blood of the royal son of heaven. A new created order, newborn men and women released onto the earth. Restoration of authority given at creation, lost in the fall, gained through redemption. Authority that is now ours to have and to use to extend the kingdom, the rule and the reign of Christ on the earth, a privilege being restored that we must now learn about and then exercise with demonstrations of power that will change the world around us and make it a better place. Are you up for any of that? Anybody excited yet? You see, but the pro- we've got a problem, guys. We've got a problem. I've got a problem here, and that is that we don't really know what we've got or know who we are. That's the problem. The God of this world has blinded our eyes. The ravages of sin have have taken it off us. We don't understand it. We don't see it. We don't experience it like we should. So we don't know, never mind who we are and what we've got, but how to exercise authority. And I can't claim that I've got it all sewn up either, but that's not going to stop me talking about it and learning how to use it. But this is, this is something I do know, is that it all starts with identity. It all starts with knowing who you are in God. That's the first step. We've got to keep going on about that. So we are. We're going to keep going on about that. It's really important because authority starts with knowing our position in Christ. Now, I don't know... If you understand what that means, let me just give you an illustration. Because you see, you can't exercise authority unless you have the position to do it, unless you use deception. Does that make sense? If you don't have position, you can't exercise authority. You have to use deception. For example, I got into trouble recently. Uh, As most of you know, uh, I helped my parents to move house And I was getting incredibly frustrated with a particular solicitor who didn't seem to have a clue. And so I did what I used to do many years ago when I worked in a law office. And I decided to call this man and give him a piece of my mind and straighten him out. And I was all ready to do it, but I couldn't get through to him. What is it with solicitors? So I have to speak to a solicitor, now his secretary, but you know, I've been in the business a few years, I know exactly the right words to use and how to say it. 
So without actually lying or intending to deceive, I managed to convince her that I knew what I was doing and I didn't bother correcting her when she thought I was a solicitor from another firm. That's naughty, isn't it? So, um, (laughs) I don't know what came over me. My parents' solicitor got this abusive phone call from the gentleman concerned who accused me of misrepresentation and all kinds of things. Oops, but at least he got the message. And I thought, I'll phone him again if he does that anymore. But you see, I didn't have the position to exercise authority. Even though I may have had all the appropriate knowledge, I didn't have the relationship and the position to do so. So having confessed that to you, I feel much better. Sorry, Mum and Dad, you didn't actually know about that, but there you go. (laughs) But hey, they're here now, so that's great, isn't it? (laughs) And, do you know, it's the same thing in the exercise of spiritual authority. It comes from both the knowledge of our position. We need to understand what the Bible says about who we are in Christ. And we need to keep revisiting it because somehow we're slow to understand So we need to understand what the Bible says about us. We need that knowledge, but we also need our relationship with God. We need to be related to him. It's not enough just to know about this stuff. We need to know the Father intimately. So for this reason, I think anyway, that the doctrine of sonship is what most clearly expresses to us what it means to have a position of authority with God, the Father. Because knowing God as Father and knowing our inheritance as firstborn sons is where we get to live in the good of our position in Christ. And it's when we take our position as part of God's royal household. So let me explain to you. First of all, how do we get to that position? I know this is going back to basics, but we need to do this. How do we get to this position? Well, Galatians 3.26 says, You are all sons of God through faith. In Jesus Christ. So you get into that position by believing what Jesus says. (laughs) You believe what the Bible says. And through that you are made sons of God. By, By faith we become sons. Literally offspring or sons and daughters. By believing the truth of what God has done to us and for us. We are born into his family. What an amazing transaction. What an amazing transaction confess my sin, I believe that Jesus has died for me and instantly I become a son of God. How amazing is that? You can't get into all kinds of clubs with that ease anywhere else, can you? This makes us the offspring of God, but also makes God our father. My daddy's bigger than yours. But it doesn't just stop with conception and birth. We're not into that kind of fatherhood. You know, anyone can make a baby, but not anyone can be a father. That would be illegitimacy. When we're born of God, Paul says in verse 5 of the same passage in Galatians, that we receive the full rights of sons. From the moment of our conception, God takes full responsibility for us. And we are adopted by him, adopted as heirs. And Paul deliberately uses a legal term that talks about our standing, our status, our rank, our privilege, and our position. And this is where we get to see the authority that has been given to us as sons of God. 
Because you see, we're not children of God like babies or infants. That's not what Paul is talking about here. Because you see, children had, had no rights as Roman citizens. Didn't matter who they were, you could have been born in a royal household. Until you come of age, you have no authority. You have no say in anything. In fact, Paul goes on to say that they were no different to slaves, even though they were born in a royal household. But that's not the case with God's offspring. Are you getting excited yet? Because, you see, God has not only given us the right to be called sons of God, he's raised our status to that of legal heirs because God doesn't want us to be infants in his kingdom, but he intends us to be firstborn sons in relationship with him as father and those who exercise power and authority in his name. Hallelujah. Did you know that? Did you know that as a son of God, you have the right to exercise power and authority in his name? Don't worry about power. We're not going to, we're going to talk about that another time. Authority. You have the right to exercise authority in his name. So when you pray in the name of Jesus, you are literally praying in the good and the power and the authority of that name. You have the right to use that name. Remember that section in Acts where Peter and John are off to pray? They see a lame man on the way. He held out his arms and he asked for arms. No, held out his hands and he asked for arms. And this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. This is what I'm invested with. This is what I actually carry, such as I have. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. (laughs) He exercised authority. In the name of Jesus, this is where I speak from. In that name, get up and walk. When you do that, you're exercising your lawful and legitimate authority against sickness, against principalities, against powers. But so often when we do it, we're just doing it like a formula, but with no sense of the authority that that name and that position carries. So understanding our identity as sons of God is foundational to authority. And it's only when we begin to understand our position, our authority in Christ, that we're able to exercise power and set people free from demons, bring healing, restoration, and salvation. So this is it. Do you know the spiritual authority that you have? Do you know the position of spiritual authority that you inhabit? Because it's time for some of you to start exercising it. You don't need to come to the elders to exercise it. You don't need to go to some apostle or prophet or some big name on the internet. You need to exercise authority as a son of God. You need to learn how to do that. It's not nearly enough time to talk about this stuff. Let me just give you a few more points. I'm going to tell you some stories. Do you like stories? Okay, let's have a few. So the first thing I want to say that in order to exercise authority, no feelings are required. Because, you know, (laughs) I don't feel authority. I don't feel very authoritative today. Ever get that or is it just me? Because, you see, spiritual authority is positional and operates by knowing on the inside that your words of command both shape and affect spiritual realms and the natural realm. 
just like Jesus showed us in the miracle stories that we saw earlier. And you say, well, I've never seen it. Well, maybe you've never exercised it. I remember going through a season of prayer when I was praying into something particular. It was a a, a spiritual battle like I've never experienced, a corporate spiritual battle for the church. And I remember the Spirit of God coming upon me and I couldn't stop praying. Isn't that amazing? Wouldn't that be cool? I couldn't stop praying. And all I could stop, and this was sort of through the middle of the night, we're on holiday and everything, and I couldn't stop praying. And all I kept saying is, Lord, you do it. Lord, do it. Do it. Get it done. Do it. Do it. I take authority. I'm standing. I'm not moving. Do it, Lord. Do it. And that's all I could pray through the whole night. And then suddenly about five o'clock in the morning, I suddenly had the sense that it was done. And the weight that was on me just left. And finally I could get some sleep. And it was. It was done. That night, something changed. Something broke. Something happened in the spiritual realm. It moved. It shifted. Do you know the authority that you have to stand and not move and it's going to get done? That's what it is to exercise spiritual authority. It's not feelings. It's position. Secondly, spiritual authority operates by the faith of the believer. So spiritual authority is received by faith, by becoming a son of God. It is also exercised by faith. You don't start in faith and then end up in works. Some famous guy said that once in the Bible. You stay in faith, in a position of faith. So how about something audacious like, it's going to happen because I said so. Or... It's going to change because I'm here now. I was on a train yesterday and there was a lot of drunk people on the train. It was so much fun. (laughs) Because all these young people decided how much fun it would be to come and sit with me. I was the only one in the carriage. They all sat with me, crowded up next to me. They were talking to me. What's your name? Rob, could you take a photo, Rob? And it was chaotic. They then invited me to go out with them. How cool is that? I said, I might well do that. That could be fun. (laughs) But I had other things to do, you know. But in my spirit, I thought, nothing bad's going to happen here because I'm here. It's not going to get out of control. It's not going to be a problem because I'm here. Now, do you think that's arrogant? Or is it knowing who I am and knowing the authority? I was affectionate with these young people. And I I just thought I'd tell you that. I thought that was cool. (laughs) Do you know, things will obey you as you exercise your God-given rights. And this positional power causes both angels and demons to move. The first angels, in response to our prayers, rushing to do the bidding of the Holy Spirit. And the second, to get out of your way. I was uh, doing a conference a little while ago up in Scotland and uh, I was doing a scary session on warning the church about the dangers of division, really, and about falling out with one another and the biblical um, basis of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The churches in Scotland have had a lot of problems with division over the years and it's been really hard to build churches. And I felt that the word God had given me was very insightful and it was going to put 
my finger right on something that was going to change those churches forever. That was the authority I felt as I was speaking these words. And I remember we had the talk in two sections and I nearly didn't do the second section because my courage was slightly failing on the inside. But I stood in my authority and I said, look, I feel like God needs me to bring this message to you, a word of warning. And as I started to speak, the awe of God came on the place. There's about 200 people there. And I, all I noticed was a sense of hush over the room, except for the fact on the front row, one of the elders of one of the churches was sat there glued to his seat with his eyes wide open. And I thought, that's a bit strange, but okay, I just kept going and I finished the talk. And finished the talk, and as I finished the talk, he was still sat there. He hadn't moved the whole time. And then as I finished the talk and I prayed, he fell on the floor on his face. And he was trembling. I thought, wow, that's cool. But I didn't understand what was going on. I just knew that God was at work. He told me afterwards that as soon as I started speaking, he says he's never experienced this before. He saw a huge angel come in and stand beside me. He said he was much higher than the building, and he was standing there, and he was looking. As I I was talking, he was looking around. He pulled out his sword, and he pointed, daring anybody to make a move. And he said, and the fear of God came on me. had emails afterwards to say that for the next two weeks people were putting relationships right repenting for bad attitudes and I've heard just this last couple of weeks how what a good place the churches are in up there because God did something because we exercised authority and the angels responded how amazing is that so spiritual authority operates by the faith of the believers spiritual authority often operates through the spoken word but I want to just tell you about, oh, we're nearly out of time. I just want to tell you about uh, operating through your presence, because I think that's even cooler. Because if you say something, you expect something to happen more. But what about just with your presence? A few years ago, there was a young lady who um, was mentally ill and uh, was connected to us as a family. And I would just simply go in and visit her every week. And I'd go in, and she didn't really communicate with me. And if you've ever been in one of those places, a psychiatric unit, it's quite a disturbing place to be. But I'd just go in there every week faithfully. I'd sort of say a few words with her, I'd pray with her, and then I'd go home again. I think I'd been going for about a, a month, and uh, I got a call from her psychiatrist saying, would you come in and meet me, please? I want to speak to you. I thought, oh, my goodness, what have I done? I couldn't think of anything bad I'd done or anything. And uh, so I went in to see him, and, and as I walked down, to, he was at one of the corridor, I was at the other. As I walked towards him, he's an African man, and turns out a Christian. And he said to me, ah, oh, now I know what's going on. And he said to me that as I'd walked down the corridor, he could see demons flying out of my way as I walked down the ward. And he said, the thing is, he says, I've been tracking it. Every time you visited, there's been peace in the ward for two or three days. The patient's been karma but so have other patients in the ward and he says i needed to find out what was going on and i said i had no idea do we know what we carry i wasn't aware of it i I found that a really hard thing to do to go into that place do you know who you are do you know how much you affect the atmosphere when you just walk into a place as a spirit-filled believer 
that's exercising authority. It's going to change because I'm there. It's going to be different because I've prayed. Something's going to change because God has connected me into that place. Your workplace. Think about your workplace. What change is going to happen because you're there? Remember what you can bring from heaven, peace, joy, love, even prosperity, perhaps? You know, Daniel, sorry, Jacob, his employer didn't want him to go because he, he was too successful as long as Jacob's presence was in the place. How about you? So do you know who you are or what you've got? And do you know the authority that you carry? Because it starts with knowing who you are. So I want to encourage you to start to revisit some of these identity things. Maybe you've just lost some of that. We do. It just happens. Just come back to that and and recite it again. Say, Lord, I know who I am. I know who you've made me. But spiritual authority is the right of every believer. It's the right to rule and reign. I don't fully understand what that means. All right. All I know is what the Bible says, and I'm still trying to work it out. But it is the right to rule and reign. That's what that word literally means. It's exousia. That authority means the right to rule and reign. Adam's authority got stolen by the enemy when he believed a lie that was told to him. Has yours? Has your authority been stolen? What lies have you been believing? If you're walking around and you feel, I don't have any authority. I just feel I've been praying and praying. I've been trying it. Well, what lies are you believing? That's the first thing to look at. Renounce the lie and believe the truth and God will set you free. So has your authority been stolen? Look, this is what I'm going to do. We could have a prayer session, ministry session now, but what I want us to do is I want us to practice exercising authority now. How's that sound? You're all looking scared. Uh, You see, the thing about... um, royal sons is they don't have to plead they declare they make declarations they demand things change so what i want us to do is to just practice now those other questions i've raised don't forget those maybe you need to revisit some things maybe you need to ask god to identify some lies but how about just doing a bit of a spring clean seeing as it's autumn let's just stand together and i want us to make some declarations it's going to be very church of england because we're going to say them all over to get all together if you're a believer today spirit filled stand up with me and let's make some declarations can we put them up on the screen please mr screen operator man and simply we're just going to read these through together And I believe that many of us are going to feel a sense of the authority that we carry just from making these declarations. Are you ready? Okay. Start with the first one. They're all in the Bible. You can read them later if you like. But here we go. I set the course of my life with my words. I declare that I cannot be defeated, discouraged, depressed, or disappointed. I am the head, not the tail. I have insight, I have wisdom, I have ideas and divine strategies, I have authority. As I speak God's promises, they come to pass. They stop all attacks, assaults, oppression and fear from my life. God is on my side today and therefore I cannot be defeated. I have the wisdom of God today. I have the wisdom of God today and I will think the right thoughts, say the right words and make the right decisions in every situation I face. 
I expect to have divine appointments today to run into the right people and to be delivered from the wrong people. I expect the best day of my life spiritually, emotionally, relationally, and financially in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what difference would it make to you, believer, to say that to yourself every day? And start to learn how to declare some truth over your own life and bring yourself into freedom. I'm just going to pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to come on us now and to help us to realize some of what God's been saying us to it. So if you want to just put out your hands, just ask the Holy Spirit to come. Holy Spirit, I want to thank you for these royal sons and daughters. Lord, it's such a privilege to be in the church, to be part of the people of God. Father, I pray that the anointing of the Holy Spirit for, for authority, for revelation, I pray blind eyes be opened now. I pray for fresh impartations of authority right now across the church in Jesus' name. I pray for situations that haven't moved to move this week as we exercise authority, for healings that have not happened to happen in Jesus' name because we've learned our learning how to exercise authority. But Lord, be gracious with us. Will you teach us? Thank you that your Holy Spirit has been sent as a teacher. Will you teach us about the authority that you've given us as sons of God, how to carry it well, and then how to exercise it. We ask you that in Jesus' name. Thank you so much, Father. We worship you, King Jesus. Amen. 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 Give yourself a round of applause. As we come to a close, I just want to encourage you, if, if you're aware of some lies that you've been struggling with, just to confess it to somebody, ask them to stand with you and just pray with you. And all you have to do is I recognize, recognize the lie, say, see that lie, I renounce that lie, and instead declare truth. So you're not rubbish. You know, some people will be hearing that all day, every day. You're not rubbish. You're not a waste of time. You're not any of those things. I renounce the lie that I am this. I declare now that I am a child of God and I have authority in the situation or whatever it is. So I just want to encourage you, don't move off. I know we've got to go and get kids, but let's do business with God. Let's stand again where God has put us in that place of authority. Amen. Amen.